0: Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good morning. Man, we've got some absolutely beautiful scripture readings this weekend for this fifth Sunday. I was, uh, did you catch it in that first reading from Isaiah? We have the word ostrich. Ostriches show up in the first reading. And so this week I was like begging the Lord. I was like, Lord, give me a homily based on ostriches. It would be so great. There was nothing. I got nothing. So ostrich homily, I guess will be another day. All right. So this gospel I'm not going to lie, I struggle tremendously with this gospel. I struggle to, tremendously with, with this gospel. I, I have in my heart, like, level 10 kind of like, hatred, disgust, anger towards these scribes and these Pharisees in this gospel today. Like, it's, it's hard to proclaim, it's hard to pray through, it's hard to preach on. It just, I hate how they use this woman. I absolutely hate how they use this woman, how they rip her out of a house and how they drag her through the streets only to throw her down in shame at the feet of Jesus. They don't care about this woman. They don't care about her heart, her soul. They don't care about her all. They're using her as a pawn in their game of trying to manipulate and trap Jesus to have evidence to condemn him, to accuse him. They're thinking that he's not going to, you know, he's going to contradict the law of Moses or he is going to affirm that we should have this woman stoned to death. They're just using her. They don't love her at all. And, like, there's this visceral reaction that I have towards this. Like, my heart absolutely recoils at this. And I know, like, I mean, I can't be the only one, right? I can't be the only one. I can't be the only one. At the same time, though, this gospel, there is something also so unimaginably tender and beautiful in Jesus's response it, it, this is how things go together because it's Jesus right you've got the the ugly and the beauty they go together they got the, they just they do that's the paradox at the heart of it so for us to feel the tenderness for us to feel the just the caress of mercy that comes in this gospel we first have to really feel like the horror of it we have to feel and let ourselves be overwhelmed by the horror of it because what this story is doing what's happening in this encounter what the story is doing is it's exposing like our deepest fear namely that our deepest shame would be exposed that we would be exposed in our deepest shame our deepest regret our deepest embarrassment our deepest failure all of that would be suddenly exposed to the gawking eyes of like others and that in that exposure that we would receive Not love and kindness, but the fear is that once it's it's exposed, that we would be condemned in it. Because we carry in our hearts this question. It says, am I really lovable when my masks are really off? When I'm seen through and through, completely spiritually naked, I can't possibly be lovable because there is these things in me, Right? To find ourselves standing like this woman, in the middle, in the midst of them, did you catch that line? Like, I had never really caught that line before until praying through it this, uh, this week. They take her. It says, "They make her stand in the middle." Imagine that. Like, how do you picture that? Like I see her her hair down and all disheveled. I see her terrified. Panting for breath, I see tears stre- streaming down her cheeks. The dust of the streets sticking to her face. I see her clutching at fabric and cloth to cover her body. I see her just mortified to be so exposed, to be so on display in her shame and her sin. Terrified, absolutely terrified. You know, as I was praying through this gospel earlier this week, I um, I was transported. I, the memory came back as I was praying. Uh, Back to when I was in fifth grade, which I know it's a weird transition because this gospel's about adultery. Okay, but stay with me. Uh, fifth grade, fifth grade Patrick. You have to picture me, fifth grade, more hair, right? A little bit shorter. Fifth grade Patrick, 10 years old. First year that I played in band. All right, I was I was in band in fifth grade. I tried orchestra in fourth grade. I lasted like a week. I'm like, this is stupid. And I threw the- so by fifth grade, I was in band, and I, was, I, I played the drums, which I know, you're not surprised, right? So I was a drummer in fifth grade, and uh, the thing about the drums, though, is that what I didn't realize when I signed up for fifth grade drums is that you also had to play this stupid, like, xylophone thing called the bells, which is like, that's not what I signed up for, right? Like, ding, ding, ding. No, I want to be like, like, that's what I thought I was going to be doing, Right? So here's the thing, right? You had to. You're supposed to practice for a half hour every single day, and your parents were supposed to sign off, right, on your practice log, right? You probably can see where the story's going. So, uh, I, being this rebel ten-year-old drummer, right? Instead of practicing the bells, instead of practicing notes and music, all that stuff, instead of practicing that, I was practicing my mom's signature. Um, I got really good at my mom's signature, real good, right? So I forged my mom's signature on my practice log for a few weeks. And I was like, this is, so this is how you make it in the world, right? Like, forge that signature until one day I was in a real hurry. I forgot to do it that night. And so that morning I did it real fast, went into band, turned my log in. Teacher, our, Mrs., our teacher, Mrs. Worthing, she was this crusty old school Ayatollah of a woman, right? She was just a beast of a band director, right? And she collected the sheet and she looked down. And um, I had made a big mistake because I spelled my mom's name wrong. <laughs> so she pulls me in her office and she's like, hey, "Patrick, what's that?" So this is my mom's signature. She goes, "How does your mom spell her name?" And I look down, and I just n- knew. Like, uh, she goes, "Did you do that?" Tears, silence start coming down my cheeks. Right she gets on the phone she goes I have I have to call your mother and I'm like I am dead I'm not going to live at home anymore so she calls my mom and I'm just standing there right and the tears are just right there in my eyes and she just your son cheated this and that and I just can hear it, and I'm just like dying inside but then it got worse because then then she brings me out of her office and and Makes me stand in front of the entire fifth grade band, 150, 200 something fifth graders, right? We all know fifth graders, 10 year olds, they tend to be very emotionally mature, you know, audience. And uh, she made me, like, confess in front of all my peers, make this forced apology speech. And thank you for not laughing, honestly. I mean, it was awful. Like, it was awful. Like, it was awful in ways that I can't even describe. Like, e- like even right now, like, I am r- I'm right there. I feel it. It was so awful. I just wanted to hide, just crawl beneath a desk and just die and just never come out. I just, some kids were laughing, some kids were just staring blankly, but I felt so exposed in my failure, so exposed in my shame, and but there was one girl, her name was Aubrey, she played the flute, she was sitting in the front row, I'll never forget it, till the day I die, she was sitting there, and like after I made my forced apology speech, like she was just staring at me, and just like with such a look of like sadness in her eyes, and she, she just mouthed the words to me, she just said, I'm so sorry, like I will never forget that till the day I die, like her eyes, her face, those words, she was like this... She was a life preserver that saved me from drowning in my shame that day, right? Like, gosh, yeah, even like, just even retelling it right now, I just, I'm just right there. It just, I feel so exposed again, just in that moment. She was Jesus. She was absolutely Jesus in that moment for me. Her kindness, those eyes, those words, right? Right? Friends, this gospel, it's inviting us to contemplate and, like, face that, that question. What will happen? What will happen if and when my shame is exposed? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Like, what will happen when that is brought out into the light? Because in this world, this cruel world, that's filled with scribes and Pharisees and Mrs. Worthings, Right? Don't get me wrong, I've, wor- I've forgiven her, I've worked through it, I've journaled about it lots, my spiritual director and I, he knows her name, right? So, But look, like, I mean, I, that was, I was 10 years old, that's 20-something plus years ago, 23 years ago, like, we all carry these things, right? We carry these moments, we have these parts of our stories where it was just like deeply wounding, deeply wounding. The world is filled with these people, scribes and Pharisees and Mrs. Worthings, people who relish in the fall, in the failure, who, when that stuff is exposed, we are met not with kindness, but condemnation. That is the fear. That's the fear. But friends, like the point of this gospel, the beauty of this gospel, is that that is not Jesus. That is not him. Like the real Jesus is tender beyond our wildest hope. He's kind beyond, we can, beyond what we can imagine. He is merciful in a way we dare, we dare only hope to dream. That's the real Jesus. The real Jesus who bends down and looks at this woman in such protection. He doesn't poke a finger deeper into the shame, deeper into the wound, deeper to cause and inflict more pain. He protects. When our hearts are exposed. And I know maybe some of us this morning, even right now listening, are thinking, Yeah, but Father, like she committed adultery, and that's a biggie, right? Okay, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It is. But you know who knows it? You know who knew it in that story? Was Jesus. Right? It wasn't as though Jesus was standing there going, like, I need I need you to tell me, what did this lady do? Right? Like He was so well aware. He knew already what was going on. He knew her heart. He knew her failure. And he also knew, by the way, the other man's failure, which, where was he, right? Takes two to commit adultery, last I checked, right? So here's Jesus, like this woman, and he knows where she's at. He knows where she's at. And he doesn't look at her and say, I can't believe you broke the law. Deuteronomy 22, lady. He doesn't say that. He protects her. He looks at her with kindness. Right? Psalm 103, it says, the Lord does not deal with us according to our sins. Like, I, I'm, I really think that there's some of us who are just convinced that, like, this is what we need. We need more of this kind of preaching, this kind of emphasis. People are going to hell, Father, and you're not preaching about it. If people knew about the eternal consequences, then they maybe get their act together. Listen. Romans, like, what does Scripture say? Do you not know that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance? It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Like, do you think that this woman, like, if she had this conversion of her life, if she changed her life around, do you think it was because she finally found out about the law that she was breaking? If her life was changed, it was because she encountered an unbelievable love when she was exposed at her lowest. She was loved at her lowest. That's what changes lives. That's what, that's what leads to repentance. And again, Lent is the season of repentance. It's not a season of punishment. It's not a season of condemnation. We're not fasting and, and like, doing these penances because we're so bad. We're trying to fast because we need to get in touch with our hungers to become aware of how much we've been taking our hunger to all the wrong places. Because we have a bridegroom God who's so passionately in love with us, he's saying, I want to win you back. I don't condemn you for taking your hunger and feasting out of a dumpster. Let me show you where the banquet is. That's what he's saying to this lady in her deepest shame, in her worst moment, the worst day of her life, probably. Right, the worst moment to meet Jesus in the very act of adultery. I can't think of probably a worse moment to meet Jesus. And he looks at her with kindness. That's what we're going to say in a few moments in the Mass, what I'll pray in a few moments. Lord, do not look upon our sins, but on the faith of your church. Like, Lord, don't look at our sins But on the faith of your church. What's the faith? What's our faith? It's not just simply that we intellectually assent to these different proposals and doctrines. The faith of the church is is the fact that we have hearts cracked open. It's the openness of the heart of the bride before the love and mercy and gift of the bridegroom. It's saying, we can't do this. We have nothing on our own. Lord, please pour your life into my heart cracked open. Like the tomb of Lazarus, right? Lazarus, dead, rotting in the tomb for four days, smelling like awful putrid flesh. Jesus says, roll away the, tomb, roll away the stone. Martha says, Lord, there'll be a stench. That's what we say about our hearts. No, 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 Lord. There's going to be a stench. He says, roll away the stone. Neither do I condemn you. Like the same Jesus, friends, the same Jesus who knelt in front of this woman, who came down, to meet this woman at her worst moment, at her lowest moment, who lifts up her chin and says, I don't condemn you. That Jesus comes to us in this Mass. That's who's coming in this Eucharist. Is this Jesus? The Jesus who says, I know what's in you. You don't got to hide it. I know what you struggle with. I know what you did all those years ago. I know what's in you. Open it to me. Like, I really will love you there. Like, our worst fear is that condemnation meets us in our shame. And our greatest hope is that love and mercy might meet us in our shame. That's who he is. And I know some of us, probably because of our past, because of things that we've experienced, because we've taken these things to the confessional sometimes, and maybe you have, like, you exposed your heart, and in that moment with a priest, all of his broken humanity came out, and you didn't experience the loving mercy of Jesus. If that happened to you, if that's ever happened to you, like, look, if I can be so bold on behalf of my brother priest, I am just so sorry. Because I was never supposed to be that way. It was supposed to be this. Like that encounter, those two boxes there, it's supposed to be this. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. I absolve you from your sins. Friends, this is the Jesus who comes to us. Who comes to you? Like, yeah, you. He says, in your heart, there are things that you think are condemnable. Show it to me so I can look at you and say, neither do I condemn you. Amen. Amen.